Hello everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. I'm Steve Wiss, I'm joined as ever by Jonathan Fadukba and also a special guest for this show, Rafa Roldan, comes back onto the Nordic Football Podcast. Jonathan, Rafa, I hope you're well. Hi Steve, hi everyone. Yeah, no, I'm good. Uh, and Rafa, I have to sort of lean to you first and say, how, how are you doing? Welcome welcome back on the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. And first of all, Steve, nice to hear you for the first time here in the podcast one-to-one. Hear you a lot of times, so it's a pleasure for me to to be back here. Absolute pleasure, Rafa, uh, indeed, uh, to meet you for the first time as well. And uh, welcome to all the listeners. We've got a great show ahead. We're going to be talking about all the latest going on up in Norway, Sweden, the uh, Asvenska and Alita Serien are back in action after the international break. We've also got some uh, big European matches coming up um, for this uh, particular week. Jonathan, I know... You know, for you, this is a, a really big game as a, a, an avid follower of Swedish football. Yeah, this is uh, this is huge. To be honest, it's, it's it doesn't get bigger than this. To be honest, really, in our leagues, Champions um, League. It's the first time Malmo FF are in the Champions League group stages uh, since 2015, 16 season. So you know, near, more than half a decade. And yeah, the whole of I think the whole of Sweden really secretly is buzzing about it. I mean, even though certain teams from Stockholm might not, you know. Uh, let on I know there's a, there's a lot of enmity between the sides a lot of rivalry but really if you if you sort of widen it out and really think about it and analyze it for Swedish football this is a this is a big thing really to, to have a side make it all the way to the group stages you know it's been a while and I think the glamour that it will bring to the Swedish league it helps it just you know keep it in the in, in the in the thinking of everybody you know it's better than having say a Bulgarian team for, for Swedish football I think to be honest so even though the even though certain fans might might deep down hate it, you know, they'll probably still be watching these games: Malmo, Juventus, Malmo, Chelsea, uh, Zenit, St. Petersburg. What a what a group stage we've got in in store! And so yeah, we're going to start this show by we thought uh, you know we're going to analyze Malmo, Juventus, the game, and we thought to ourselves who who better to speak to than a performance coach and analyst in Rafa? So um, you know, if you haven't listened to the last episode, uh, Rafa Roldan uh, is a really interesting interview in terms of what you do and your work. But what we're going to do now is we're going to sort of put it into practice, aren't we, on this on this episode? And we're going to sort of try and break down uh, not only Malmo but also Juventus. So do a proper kind of analysis of, the, of this game, what to expect. So Malmo fans who are listening, maybe you know you might get a glimpse into how maybe w- how the team will get on. Uh, and also, if you're new to the show, you know just a, a general analysis and, and uh, that we often tend to do. Um, so yeah, I mean. I guess the best place to start really is with you, Rafa. I mean, how I know we talked about it a little bit on the on the on the podcast, but I don't think we they played the final group game at that point. How impressed have you been with Marmo this season? Well, as I, as I was spoke in the in the previous uh, show, I, I think Marmo has been very impressive this year. I think the speed and the intensity of the game they have shown in times in the league and especially in Europe has been above the level in in Alzheimer. I think that is a matter of details that they are not leading the, the league more comfortable. They have lost the the lead or, or the game in in the last minute already in two, two games at home, which is very strange for, for them. Also very strange to lose points at home against teams like Osterson in the beginning of the season. But it, it has been really impressive. If we are if we are talking about the, the level of the rivals and the history of the rivals they have faced in the qualification. We have to, to remember that this Malmo team has defeated Rangers and Ludogorets. Ludogorets, I think, like, okay, it's from Bulgaria. It's a country that we can think that not so much tradition, but it's a team that no long ago he was 
they were in the group stage of Champions League and they have been always fighting in the last year for, for European positions. So for uh, the, the achieving of this year of Malmo is, is great, not only for them, but it's also for Swedish football. Swedish football is going to be in the best show possible in, in European football this, this year. Yeah, 100%. And there's such a buzz and excitement about uh, this group stage, really, you know, for, for, for Malmo. I mean, for anyone who hasn't, uh, isn't aware, obviously, we, we, have a, we have a partnership with Scout. And um, we've just written a blog for them. In fact, I've just uh, it's just been published today. Um, looking at two of their key men, um, Antonio Kolak and Velko Bermansevich. So if you haven't uh, checked that out before, uh, head to at Scout on Twitter or head to our social channels at Nordic Footpod on Twitter. And, you know, the link to the blog is there. And you can have a little read. Ba- basically, in summary, um, I've written a report on, on Marmo. And, and the bottom line is they're, they're the two key players, aren't they, in the... I mean, Steve. I'm sure you'll ask me about them in a minute, but uh, yeah, I think I think generally speaking, this is such a massive group stage. Malmo are expected to make about 19 million euros from their participation in the, in the groups. It's a massive, you know, event uh, and occasion. Um, but I guess what we're going to try and analyse on this on this in this first part of the show really is uh, you know, how how can they? Everybody knows going into this group stage, Malmo will be the underdogs. They're going to be the you know the team that everyone. Uh, expects to get beaten. You know, we've got Malmo Juventus' first game. Nobody's expecting Malmo to get anything from this whatsoever. But we've we've we're going to break it down, and you know, we we don't like to just lean towards underdogs and, and big boys. Let, let's actually look at it rationally, um, and that is why we've got you on, Rafa, to do a bit of an, an analysis. I know that's your day to day job. Um, you prepare reports and you prepare for for taking on teams. What can you tell us about Juventus? And when you look at it from a from a, from an analyst point of view. How would you, if you were, say, working for Malmo or if you were preparing, how would you prepare for this game? What would you be looking at? And uh, what are the key things maybe you've seen from Juventus so far that we can expect? Yeah, I, I always start to analyze a, a opposition team. First thing I do is a contextual analysis. And uh, with this, I mean, uh, what is the situation of, of the team per today? We are talking about a Juventus team where the average age of the team is quite high. We are talking about a team that had a lot of players in the last stages of the Euros and even winning. And and then we have also, in addition, the comeback of Allegri. So it's a team like probably they haven't had the best, the most optimal precision. And if that's not bad enough, we have to add that they have lost Cristiano to Manchester United in the last day of the market almost. So they have lost their best goal scorer and the maximum offensive threat they have had. So in that point of view, it's a team that they are not coming with an optimal preparation to the, the first games of, uh, of Champions League. And then we, we see how, how they have done in, in, the, in the league. They have started the Serie A probably the worst in many, many, many years. They have played three games with only one draw. They haven't won yet. They have draw away 2-2 against Udinese and lost home against Empoli and then in the last weekend they, they lost against Napoli 2-1. So we are we are uh, facing a team or Malmo is facing a team that they are you know, in the best moment and they have to visit Malmo, which is not an easy trip. It's a team that, as we have been talking for more than five years without European football, and it's a team that is going to give everything. So not easy... Not easy first uh, visit for for Juve. 
Yes, and um, I mean, this, I just want to uh, say this group is Group H of the Champions League. Uh, also in this group, Chelsea and uh, Zenit uh, St. Petersburg. Malmo, uh, for those who are interested in uh, the betting side of things, Malmo are 66 to 1 underdogs to win the group. So I don't know if anyone fancies a tenor on that. Uh, Chelsea, the favourites uh, to win the group. Juventus, second favourite. Zenit St. Petersburg in uh, in third there uh, I get, realistically you're probably thinking Malmo are going to be aiming for third place and uh, that dropped down to the Europa League but uh, let's focus on this first match it is a home against Juventus uh, Juventus are the favourites they're 1.5 favourites fair enough but it's not out of the question that maybe Malmo could get a shock here Juventus is, I think they've had a bad start to the season from what I've heard I don't really know much about Italian football but in terms of Juventus and their actual tactical setup for this game against Malmo Rafa, how do you think they will approach this game being the strong favourite away from home? Uh, I think like they, they have started with three different formations the first three games, from a 4-4-2 flat to a 4-4-2 diamond, and the last game with a 4-4-1-1. So it's a bit, it's a bit unpredictable what they are using, for sure. It's a back four with four players in the midfield. It will be it will be interesting to see if they are uh, putting a more offensive team because they think that they can they can get the control of the game and control of uh, over Malmo or they are gonna be a team like more like trying to get Malmo in counters. I think if I were um, Juventus, I will be very cautious about Malmo as they have shown in the in the European nights and. I think probably they're going to go with a 4-4-2 with very pressing uh, Malmo in the in the build-up to try to recover the ball high. They have done that in periods in this area. But I think Malmo has to be also brave and try to play them because they have had enormous problems in Syria. If we're talking about data, they, they, they have uh, conceded 1.67 goals per game. Meanwhile, they have scored only one goal per game. And expected goals, 137 for Juve and 191 for the rivals. So the, the team has been quite offensive against them and, and punished them when Juventus has lost the ball in, in their own third. Uh, if I have to think about a team they will put tomorrow, it will be, as I said, the 4-4 two i think they will play with uh, almost the same team they play uh, against napoli maybe they change a bit rabiot for quadrado to be a bit more offensive and as we spoke before starting the, the show i think it will be very interesting to see if he if allegri uh, give against the chance to to mckenzie mckenny and and fight against that midfield that Malmo is going to put against them. They're quite an ageing side in general, but two of the younger players to keep an eye out uh, in this Juventus team. Obviously, Kulisevsky on the uh, on one of the wings there. Actually, uh, that will certainly have a lot of interest in Sweden. And uh, McKenny, who is seen as this top US prospect, highly rated over there. Um, you know, and I suppose really they they need that y younger element to their team because the um, you know the rest of the side is. <laughs> I mean, there's certainly a few old age pensioners in there, experienced though. Yeah, uh, we are talking that the two centre backs they have 
is uh, Bonucci and Chiellini. Between them, they have more than 800 games in top football. Then we are talking about um, players that have been around in football for a long, long time. Uh, Chiellini, the keeper, also a very veteran keeper. So, yeah, I think it will be very interesting to see the young tomorrow with McKenny and Kulusevski. I think both of them they're gonna start, and and they will be they will be two players to watch. I don't know if they're gonna be able to to cope with responsibility of a European night away, but uh, I think Allegri really trusting and and will be interesting to see to them tomorrow. Jonathan, in terms of Malmo, I mean, how do you see them setting up here and? Uh... I must remind the listeners do uh, have a read of your latest Y Scout blog there, um, focusing on uh, the Swedish champions. Two really important players who helped them get to this stage, Kolak and Bermansevic. I guess they're going to be uh, the focal point for Malmo. But in terms of tactical setup as well for Juventus, do you think they're just going to try and sit back, soak up the pressure, or are they actually going to have a bit, a bit of a go? Yeah, well, it's interesting that um, listening to Rafa there, what what you say, and you know, someone who works, who's worked, you know, for Ostersunds as a as an analyst and performance coach, it's interesting to hear how, what key things you look for when you're preparing for for a match. One of the things that uh, has caught my eye when you you know you're talking about Juventus there, uh, you said how bad they've been to start the season. I mean, the second, the third, bo- the fourth bottom of the league at the moment. I mean, it's incredible, really. I know it's only three games, but they're already eight points behind Roma and Milan, which is, you know. You, it's quite big already, even though it's early. Eight points, I think, in a, in a, in a so in, a, in any title race, that's that's quite a big uh, gap already. Uh, only not, they haven't won a game yet. One draw and two defeats. So you know, as he's mentioned there, the amount of goals they're conceding and chances they're giving away. I think Malmo can fancy themselves here. I, re- I really do. I think it's going to be a packed atmosphere. I think that um, I think they're going to be really, really up for it. I noticed in the pre-match press conference, uh, Allegri, Max Allegri, the Juventus manager, has already come out and said this is a must-win game. Um, so there is a sense they're feeling the pressure a little bit. I think there is a certain feeling um, that they cannot afford to lose this game. Um, and, you know, just going to read you a couple of comments from from Allegri. He said that uh, it'll be very important, and uh, this is something I was going to pick up on, um, you know, when you mentioned but, uh, the two the two strike, the two forwards, uh, who we'll, I'll talk about in a second. But, yeah, Allegri said that it'll be, a very, it'll be a very technical game. It'll be important to play a very technical game um, and avoid... Uh, basically, we said we must focus. You can never predict what will happen in, in football. And we must be focused on the Champions League. We must play a technical game and we must give away a few set pieces as they are a very physical team. Uh, we must play the game with serenity and we must know how to improve regardless of the results. And I think that, I think that is going to be the key, really. This is going to be one of those games where Malmo are going to be itching to get set pieces. You know, any kind of long throw-ins, they're very good at that side of the game. Um, they're very, very dominant on set pieces. And I think that is the area that they can maybe uh, catch out Juventus here. As Rafa mentioned, they've got an aging side, you know, a team that's a little bit disorganised with the transfer policy and everything like that, losing Ronaldo. You know, I know they've brought in a few other players and things like that, but, you know, they're not quite 100%. And, and then the other element in terms of set pieces, I think one of the reasons they're concerned about it is there's been a lot of criticism in the Italian media for uh, Wojciech Chesney, who uh, Arsenal fans may remember him, the Polish international. Um, used to play for Arsenal, of course. Um, he's coming for a lot of criticism in the, in the, in the early part of this season. Uh, I think he's letting a few ricks this season, a few howlers. And, you know, Allegri had to sort of re-emphasise his confidence in the keeper. He said he's a top-level keep, keeper. He will absolutely play tomorrow. Uh, so, you know, he's already kind of trying to build his confidence back. 
Um, and, he, and even Bonucci has come out and said, you know, Chesney, you know, we have to sort of keep Chesney focused. We have to make sure he feels comfortable. So I think there is a sense here of vulnerability. I, I do think Juve are kind of a bit wobbly. And, you know, the last thing you want if you're a goalkeeper out of form and not feeling very confident is, you know, someone chucking in long throws at you into the box, someone peppering, you know, you know corners, free kicks. Um, Malmo are a very physical side in terms of the, as Allegri has said, you know, they will challenge. They will challenge for every single ball in the box. And I think that is an area they can exploit. Um, just talking about the the Wise Scout blog, yeah, I have to say, I really enjoyed writing this. You know, sometimes, Steve, you probably feel this way as well when you write about Norway. There's some months where you're inspired and some months maybe you're not as inspired. Uh, I really felt inspired writing this. I really enjoyed it. Um, Kolak and Berman Savic, they've really, I said in the piece, they're the two best signings of in Australian this, this season. And I think you can probably make a, a good argument for that. You know, they've combined, they've scored so many goals. I think it's 24 goals between them. Um, they've been massive getting them to this stage of the competition. And I really think uh, Kolak in particular will, will be someone that Juve need to look out for. Um, Berman Savic will make deep runs from midfield, maybe play out wide and cutting inside and things like that. But I think I think that the, the, the I think the strikers, uh, sorry, I think the defenders will will have a bit of a job on their hands keeping Kolak quiet. Now, don't get me wrong, Benucci is world-class. You know, they've got a world-class defenders. Um, but it's going to be one of those games where the atmosphere, you know, if Juventus go into it with a bit of a complacent mindset, thinking this will be an easy game, I think they'll get a wake-up call very quickly. So, yeah, I, I can't wait for it. I think it's going to be a really exciting game. And then the next round is is Juventus-Chelsea and Zenit against Malmo. So, you know, if Malmo can get a point here or even three points, they set themselves up pretty nicely, knowing that Juve and Chelsea will play each other next. So, um, yeah, all to play for. I, I'm quite looking forward to it. I think we're going to have to do predictions before we sign off, aren't we? So, I'm, I'll start things off. I'm going to say Juventus do win it two goals to one. But uh, what do you think, Rafa? Can Malmo get anything? Yeah, just uh, about what uh, Jonathan said. I think, like, in the last three games, uh, Juventus has conceded 25 corners. So, I totally agree with uh, what Allegri said. And also, if we are talking about uh, how Malmo can even dominate the the game, they are going to be three midfielders probably. So I think they can be dominating in the midfield against the two central midfielders in, in Juve. Man for man, the squad of Juventus obviously is better. So in my prediction, thinking about how Malmo can outnumber uh, Juve in central areas, but taking in consideration the quality Juve has. I will. I will go for a two-two game. Yeah, I think. I think that's a. I think that's a reasonable prediction. You know, I'm just looking at the uh, the goal scorers for Juventus this season. They drew two-two at Udinese. Dybala and uh, Quadrado scored. Uh, Delafeu scored in that game um, for Udinese. Didn't know who was there. And then they lost at home to Empoli, uh, and then they lost at Napoli. I I think this is going to be a tough game for Juventus. I think Malmo. I'm going to go for a two-two-one win for Malmo. I'm gonna say they're gonna get a sneaky result, but to be honest, that's probably my head, my heart. Really, I, I think realistically, a point um, is probably like Rafa said, probably may be what happens. I think Juventus will have that that strength, but I really think they're gonna be up against it. And if they don't, if they don't deal with set pieces, and if they don't deal with the crowd, and they are lacking in confidence, then I think Marmo may have a sucker punch for them because they are really flying at this moment. They, they're they're so confident, they're really enjoying their football. And I just think they're going to be really super up for this game. Um, it's affecting them in the league, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But yeah, I, I just think that these games in the Champions League, these three games, they're going to be so up for it, the, the fans and everything, that I think they, they may cause a small upset. 
do you know what? Um, you are definitely not on the fence as much these days, Jonathan. Straight in there with a prediction. Normally he'd be like, "Well, I don't know, I don't know, maybe a draw." Uh, but he's straight in there with the with the prediction there. But yeah, great analysis, guys, of this this match ahead. Uh, thanks for Jonathan for that. And Rafa, appreciate your time on the Nordic Football Podcast again. Uh, in approach of this game, it was great to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure for for me as always. So moving on to our Svenskan matters now and the, the round after the resumption from the international break, I'm just going to go through some of the results now. Sirius 1, Oshersund 0, Malmö 1, Norrköping 1, Kalmar 4, Dego 4, 1, IFK uh, Jotteborg 2, Halmstad 0, yet another under 2.5 game for Halmstad, by the way there. Jorgarten 4, Hammerby 1, um, a rare Stockholm derby win for Jorgarten, more on that in a minute. Urebro nil, Varberg three, and Varberg are on fire right now. Mialbi nil, uh, Eichor nil, bit of a surprise there. And Elfsborg, they're well and truly in the title race, title race with a 4-2 victory against Hecken. So really, there's only one place we can we can start here it is in that Stockholm derby. We quite rightly had plenty of criticism for Jorgarten uh, after they lost to Eichor recently um, in another derby, but they've, well... Put that one to bed now by uh, beating the green half of Stockholm four goals to one. A, a big win for Jorg, and they aren't the joint top of the table with Icor now. Um, convincing victory, Jonathan. Yeah, this was a you know this was a huge occasion to be honest. One of the biggest games of the season. I think it could even be a turning point in the title race. Um, the ghost, the ghost of Stockholm. You know, I think I don't know if we're going to call this episode Ghostbusters, but you know, what I'm going to say to you, Steve, is who are you going to call? Because uh, the, the 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 relief at the end of this game, I, I don't think I've seen anything like it. To be honest, um, the collective sense of like, phew, after Eurogarden battered Hammerby, their Stockholm rivals, four-one um, in the derby. Now, you know, if you haven't if you haven't listened to the episode that we had a couple of uh, rounds back, about three or four episodes ago, go back and listen to the beginning of it if you can, because we broke down in that episode like. The history of this derby, why it's such a big thing for Jurgard and the terrible record in Stockholm derbies against AIK and uh, and uh, Hammerby, awful, awful, awful record. And you know it was a, it was in early August, eighth of August, they played uh, AIK at home and they got absolutely battered four one at home. And after that, it was like an outpouring of just grief and you know emotional destitute. Um, we talked about the tweets and the fans just so upset, you know, saying, how can, how can my kids look, how can my kids look at this? <laughs> how can my kids look at people in the mirror? You know, how can they go to school with a year garden shirt on anymore? You know, you've disgraced this, you've disgraced us all. The terrible record you garden have, you know, such a poor Derby record over lasting over more than 10 years. Um, it really is emotionally felt by your garden. And there, there were big calls, you know, like we need, we need improvements. This is not good enough. This you're a joke. You know the fans, uh, players have been getting abused. Manager's been under pressure. It, really, it was psychologically a massive, damaging blow for them. Even though they were top of the table at the time, I think um, they followed that up, Steve, with a one 0 win at Mialbi. Uh, then they drew in Mialbi again. You know the fixtures reversed, uh, and then they lost against Sirius uh, the week before that, just before the international break. So there's just been this nervous tension at Eurogarden. You know, just everything. Fans are just not happy. weren't happy, and you know, in the 19th minute of this game, when Ludwigs and Gustav Ludwigs and put Hammerby 1-0 up, you just thought to yourself, oh no, oh no, oh no. You know, um, 
it's all happening again. You know, the ghost is back. The ghost of Stockholm. They call it the ghost because it's like this, you know, the Derby ghost that follows your garden around. Whenever there's a Derby, they just can't seem to get it right. The ghost turns up and they bottle it. Uh, but well, what what could well go down as one of the greatest performances uh, in recent modern history of your garden? Individual performances pulled it back, and uh, they ended up winning four one. Um, you know, we we will talk about Magnus Eriksson in a minute, how good he was. But yeah, a goal from Magnus Eriksson. Um, it was actually a penalty miss, and then he, he scored. Then Halmar Ekdal, thirty uh, ninth minute flicked header uh, from a Magnus Eriksson assist, uh, left footed cross, glanced in. Then it was Joel Asoro, first goal. Joel Asoro. I even wrote a Wisecup blog on him. Uh, dedicated so much time to writing about this big signing that's going to change everything for Yogarden. He hadn't even scored uh, until this game, uh, and he get a lot of all less nervous energy he had. You know, it was he's been having such a tough time of it. He was so relieved as well. He ran into the crowd, uh, and then that man Chile, uh, Edward Chilifia, with a brilliant goal to make it four-one. And there were scenes in that stadium, Steve. I mean, there was nine thousand official attendants. But I tell you, that game, it felt like there was 35, 39,000 in the crowd because Eurogarden fans were going absolutely crazy. Uh, they, they got rid of the ghost. You know, they had to, they were rub it in their faces against AIK just a month ago. And they've now got their revenge. And, and really, you know, it's not just the psychological element of this in terms of getting over um, that Derby ghost, but also, Steve, the top of the table now with 12 games to go. Um, AIK's result has really given them the momentum now that they've got the best goal difference. Um, you know, they've scored 30 goals, conceded 14. And with 12 games left, Malmo dropping points, you know, okay, you've got Elsborg in there as well. So we've got a quite an exciting title race. But, you know, Eurogarden now, they might start looking at this and thinking, you know what, we've got the Derby ghost off our backs. Let's go and win that title. I mean, I, I'm, I look at that table now, I'm actually worried for Malmo because they've got Champions League to deal with as well. And that I know that takes it out of teams sometimes. So this is a genuinely tough title race to predict. It's a four-way battle. I mean, I've got visions already here of that dramatic end of season when Jorgen won it last time, Jonathan. I mean, imagine if we got to that stage where we got two of the Stockholm sides right in the mixer. It would be kind of crazy, wouldn't it? it um, you know, but I mean, there's been drop points sort of the way. I mean, I didn't really see an AK getting that draw against Mialbi, although Mialbi can be a bit of a tough side. Elsborg just seem to have goals in them, really, when it matters. They've got the full of full of scoring. And, uh, you know, Jorgarten, I think it's fair to say no one really saw that 4-1 coming, did they? They just lost their way a bit and you know, bounced back. you got to say fair play to to, to Jorgarten. I mean, we, we seem to have this conversation every week, but, I mean, which sort of direction are you swinging in now in terms of, you know, the title battle? Who, who do you think is going to pull away? It's a tough, tough, tough one to answer, really. Um, I, if you ask me today, I would say, I would say, I would say, you got. I think they got, they got the momentum. I, I really think that's a massive, massive uh, win. You know, football is so much built on kind of confidence and motivation and that kind of thing. And and I just think that for Jurgen for the last month, they've just been, just been hung over. You know, AIK just smacked them in. The, it was like a punch in the mouth. AIK just smacked them in the chops. You know, they'd won three in a row. Uh, they were doing really well in the league. And then this Derby ghost just came around again and they just, you know, they just, they've just sort of collapsed um, since that game losing 4-1 at home to AIK. And, and AIK took on the momentum and got themselves into that title race. You know, don't forget AIK, Steve, before this game, they were kind of, uh, before that Derby, sorry, you know, they were the ones who were kind of struggling. 
Um, you know, they, they had a good record, but they weren't they weren't you know, they were nowhere near top of the league, if, if that makes sense. Um, since that derby win, they won through. They've won five in a row. Uh, you know, they, they beat Halmstad, then they beat Jurgen in that derby, then they beat Sirius, beaten Hacken, and beaten Odebro, and got themselves really into this title race. Uh, and if they'd won this evening against uh, Miami, they'd have gone they'd have gone top of the league by two clear points. So it's a real blow for them to not um, to not win that game. I have to say, I'm quite surprised. I haven't. I'll be honest. I didn't see the Miami game, so I, I can't comment on it right now. But um, you know. Uh, what I'm trying to say is it, it's the momentum now will switch back to your garden uh, uh, and the psychology of, of kind of just getting over that, that derby was such an emphatic victory. And it wasn't really as if it wasn't deserved. I mean, they really took, uh, took a bit of a beating to Hammerby. Hammerby have had their own problems. Um, a very interesting bit of team news there, Steve, uh, that, that did the rounds. Akin Kumiyamu was dropped from the squad completely. Um, now, part of that is because, you know, it's not been firing. You know, we talked about the Nigerian uh, Messi-esque, we described him as at the beginning of the season, in the way he dribbles off that left foot, you know, that pace, the low centre of gravity, some of the goals he scored uh, in the Swedish Cup. But he's he's kind of gone off the boil a bit and, and he was dropped from the score completely. And uh, he was criticised a lot after the game, the manager, um, for, for, for leaving him out. Um, he mentioned that there's kind of, obviously, there's Mohamedi have a lot of foreign players. So there's that cap on foreign players. Essentially, you're only allowed to play, I think it's eight or nine uh, foreign players in your, in your in your match day squad, and so they had to drop uh, someone, and it ended up being uh, a move. So the manager came out and said, "Listen, if we'd won, if we'd won the game four one, no one would criticise me." Um, but he's kind of held his hand up and said, "Maybe it was the wrong choice." Um, but bottom line, for Milojevic, you know his his team fell apart. Um, don't get me wrong; he's in a very nice cream uh, cream roll neck. Um, with a nice little suit jacket, but at the end of the day, it was uh, it was uh, Lagerlof and uh, and the joint managers uh, Kim Bergstrand who were who were dancing at the end of that game. Um, first derby win of the of the year, um, and it's not yeah as I said, it's not just the three points; it's the energy. It, they did a lap of honesty as if they'd won the Champions League uh, at the end of the game. You know, it was it was incredible the relief in the stadium. They they were so happy. Um, Twitter as well has been just they've just really got that monkey off the back if that makes sense you know, they really just kind of you can just sense the relief and and sometimes that can give you that positive energy could take them now all the way they've got 12 games left uh, mentally it's, it's a hurdle they've overcome and I, I think now they're gonna they're gonna fancy themselves I mean next game this weekend Steve Malmo away um, you know Malmo got Juventus can they can they overcome that you know and, and the physical you know ex, ex, expenditure that they're gonna go for that uh, we'll see but um, now they can really, you know, if if if, if Jurgen can get a win there, for example, they could even almost bury Malmo in the title race with with eleven games to go. Um, so, you know, after that, then they've got Dior, then they've got Degafors, Ostersunds, and then they've got another derby early October away to AIK. So they've got a lot of big games coming up. Actually, the next game after that is Elsborg. So you know, long way to go. But I would say for Jurgen now that I think they've got sort of kind of the momentum's with them right at this moment in time. And, and the other team I just want to touch on, uh, Steve, that we can't rule out. I have to say a big shout out to Elsborg because, you know, last season after doing so well, you know, I didn't really think they could repeat it. I think I predicted them around fourth, um, but they've really got themselves, you know, they came, finished second last season, obviously it was a nine point gap, but they've really got themselves into this title race. Now they're one point behind, uh, they're scoring goals for fun. They don't concede too many, you know, only 17 conceded. It's not bad. And they have not lost a game, Steve, since May um at Malmo so although they had a bit of a dodgy start to the season lost four matches um they've since been incredible really and they've beaten Hakan this evening um and that's part of a 
nearly 10 game run now um, unbeaten. So, you know, Elfsborg, you can't rule them out this moment in time. The next game's Ostersund's away and then they've got Malmo at home. I think we'll learn a lot about them in those two matches. If they can beat Ostersund's, which they should, and then uh, if they, you know, we'll see what they've got against Malmo to potentially really put themselves in, in, the, in the running with 10 games left. I, mean, I, I hope I hope Elfsborg win it. I would love to see them win it. Someone different, isn't it? But um, I mean, just before we tie up our Svenskin, do you know what I've, I've kind of noticed here? And it's been a while since I've said this. It, it looks like the genuine, the only free hits, the easy wins is against Ossersons and Urubro. Everyone else can be awkward. I mean, even Mialbi, you know, that people are dropping points against them. Yeah, Degafors are in a bit of a bad form. It seems like, though, you know, anyone in this league at the moment can be awkward opposition if you get them on the wrong sort of day. That might be why, you know, all of these top four, they have dropped quite a few points at times this year. You know, I think I don't think it's going to be ridiculously high points Tally needed to win the league this particular season. Um, you know, has the strength of the league in general gone up a bit suddenly, Jonathan, would you say? It's a really good question, actually. Yeah, really, um, really good question. It's hard to really, it's hard to know. I think I think at the top of the table there's been a slight improvement. Uh, I think I think obviously post COVID, um, everyone's kind of it's a bit like the Premier League at the moment. You know, everyone's kind of excited to be back in front of fans, and and that gives an extra maybe five ten percent. Teams are kind of just really excited to play and that kind of thing. You know, there, there's a bit more edge to the games. I think that um, I, I think that it it's a good time to have that conversation just because of what's going to happen next, which is Malmo in this Champions League. Now, I mentioned in my Wisecout blog that they've, you know, there's 19 million euros they're going to get out of this guaranteed. And that's not even including if they win any of these games. You know, if they beat Juventus, for example, that's an extra 2 million, I think, in the coffers for prize money. Uh, I think you get 900,000 euros just for a draw. So um, well, a lot of debate at the moment is kind of, is this is this, uh, is this, this the end of, like, you know, comp- competition in Nelspenska? And everyone's thinking that Malmo getting to the group stage means that they now can go on again and, and just dominate the league. And obviously nobody really wants that. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think recruitment has been massive, more so than ever in in this league. I think that what we saw in in the in the winter, Steve, in the winter window, was that a lot of teams had to re- rely on signings from maybe lower league teams, um, and also maybe one or two punts that no one knew about. And I think why Elsborg are in the title race is because they've got their recruitment spot on for the last year to two years. You know, we talked about sort of Joseph Akuma, who they sold on to to Belgium. You know, they've, they've, they've done really well recruitment-wise. Um, and I think that that smart recruitment has, has turned them from a sort of team going nowhere to, like, you know, second in the league now. They've played in Europe now, and now they're title contenders. You know, and, and, and I think um, I think that that has... I think the, the, the teams around that, that bracket of mid-table, I think the ones who have done good recruitment have managed to turn themselves into sort of contenders, whereas teams like maybe... You know, EF Core have done bad recruitment, and I think that kind of reflects on where they are in the table. You know, fighting always sort of maybe fighting relegation to a certain extent. They got a 2 0 win at Ham against Halmstad, but you know, they've had a lot of issues with their squad, you know, and, and kind of lost a lot of games. Um, the difference between someone like them and someone like Elsborg, I mean, they're probably a bigger club than Elsborg, all things considered, but Elsborg are third in the table and one point off the title. And I think that is because they've got their recruitment right. Malmo and why they've been so good is because their recruitment's just been really good this season. I think with Berman Savic and, and, and Colat and one or two others as well who have, who have really done well, I think. I think their recruitment has improved them and that's why they've got to the to the Champions League level. And I think that that is the core message here, really. If you've got either really good coaching, uh, like Kalmar, you know, a team like that with their possession-based style, um, 
or if you've got good recruitment, you know, North Shopping's recruitment hasn't been too bad and they're sort of up there. Uh, Garden generally tend to get their recruitment quite quite right and quite well. AIK have just about started to turn things around from that point of view as well. Um, so I think good coaching, good recruitment is, is just narrowing those gaps. But the question will be, obviously, when Malmö get 19 million, what are they going to do with it? You know, are they going to just go on another level? But uh, yeah, I think, I think you know, like you said, you know, if you look at someone like, Cal uh, just to briefly touch on Kalma, you know, beating Degaforce 4-1, you know, with their, their position-based style, it's incredible how they've turned things around there. And so the point I'm trying to make here is that if you can get those little marginal gains right, you know, then you can have a decent season. I mean, you've got Vibo boys in eighth at this moment in time. So it really just tells you that the league is quite competitive at this moment. And I think that's a really good thing in, in general for all, all Svenskan. Yeah, it's one of those, the way I see it, if Malmo don't win the league next season, then something very weird's going on because they've got, they're going to have a, a decent treasure chest, aren't they, to, to open. But they haven't been able to do anything with that money because of the way the transfer window uh, operates in, in Sweden um, for, for the rest of this season anyway. So this is the chance for the other, other three teams to really lay it down this year, especially with them still in Champions League as well. So I think, I think the other three teams will know that this is their opportunity, especially the two Stockholm sides. They've got to put the hammer down now and, and try and put some distance um, between themselves and Malmo before it looks like Malmo's fixtures do get favourable towards the back end of the of the season. So it, it's a really interesting battle, you know. For those listening, you know, this is a good league. If you ever want to follow a league sort of outside of the mainstream Europe, this is a good one to follow right now. It's a four way battle. Get yourself supporting one of them top four sides, and um, you know, hopefully it comes down to a really epic con conclusion again, like it did uh, before. So um, yeah. Really exciting stuff at the Arsvenskan right now, Jonathan. Yeah, and just to wrap it up, I mean, we I did mention this on the last episode um, before Rafa came on. I think you know two episodes ago, I believe. Um, just playing into what you've said there, there is a massive kind of this is an existential debate in in Arsvenskan at the moment. The transfer window, what are they going to do with it? Because there's a massive there's a massive call to move the Arsvenskan window to uh, transfer window to the end of September. And the teams that want it, obviously, are the teams that want to be able to do their recruitment now. You know, teams like Malmo, I think Hammerby uh, are kind of pushing. I think their sporting director um, wants it to be in line with the European teams till the end of August. Um, but then also that that kind of means that, you know, if a Malmo, you know, Malmo, for example, like you just said there, if they if they had qualified and the transfer window was ha uh, changed, they could now go out after getting into the Champions League, maybe go and buy three or four extra players with that money. But because it's because the window ends in July, you know, um, ends sort of sorry mid August, they hadn't actually qualified yet. So that is a massive. The decision is going to be apparently made in September. There's been loads of talks between the clubs and, and the uh, Swedish FA and the, you know the Elite Football Association. That decision is going to really potentially could change your Svenska for, for years to come, because if they keep it, it it, it just means that the, you know Malmo might not be able to dominate as much, uh, or anyone who's kind of flying at that moment in time in Europe. But if they move it, it gives them a bit more time to go out and buy a few more players. And that could really alter the landscape of the league. So it's a, it's a big decision, actually. And we're, we're due to get that in, in the coming days and weeks. Yeah, this season in particular, that would have been big. I don't think we're going to get many situations where um, teams do qualify for the Champions League group stage from um, Norway or Sweden. But in this instance, if suddenly Malmo had given another, what, 12, 13 million pounds, roughly, is it, just for doing the group stages? They definitely would have forked out to, to to buy some players, if only just for depth more than anything. But I'm sure they could have reinforced that squad and almost given themselves a great chance to to both compete in you know domestically and in Europe. So 
it's crucial. I think, to be honest, if it was me, I would have it in line with the Norwegian window. Norway is at the end of August. That way it's fair for everyone, to be honest with you. Uh, but in this particular, by the way it's gone this year, it's almost helped the league to be more competitive for the rest of the season. That's the way I see it. Yeah, 100%. And just to wrap it up on that, you know, if you need an example of kind of how it can distort the league, if, depending on when the window changes, all you've got to do is look at um, one of the key players in that in that Ludogorets game, uh, a player they got from Degafors, and that is uh, the goalkeeper, Ismail Diawara. Now, that's a really, really great story. You know, lovely, lovely story. This is a player who's been playing in the lower leagues of Sweden pretty much his entire entire life. Uh, you know, he was at this time last year, he was, I think, at Degafors, you know, just in the second division, wasn't really sure if he's going to have a career. And then, you know, Mama got an injury in the Ludogorets second leg and they had to bring on, they signed Diawara in this window from Degafors. He'd, he'd done so well um, for Degafors that Malmo, Malmo sort of picked him up um, just to be their second goalkeeper. But he came in to that match and uh, against Ludogorets and made his Champions League debut. And uh, he's been really, really good, actually. Uh, he's, he's one of those one of the sort of feel-good stories that you get sometimes. He's 26. He'd only been at the club for two weeks, you know, and he didn't even expect to play a single game. He, he left Degerfors thinking he would just sit on the bench. Um, and next thing you know, he's playing in the Champions League. And, and so, um, yeah, he, you know, he said that for him, it was like he, he never expected this. And, you know, he said he feels so great about it. And, and, and it's just a really nice story, isn't it? For um, and it, But it also shows you, Steve, that, you know, if they could go and pluck a few other players from teams like Degafors and, and, and others, and, and if they had an extra few weeks in the window, they could have maybe bought one or two. They bought Martin Olsen as well from Hacken, uh, Malmo. So that ability to pluck, you know, it's a bit like Bayern Munich do that a lot, don't they? Mm. They, they, they just pinch from the German league. Anyone is good. Um, Haaland may be next. So, uh, so yeah, that's it's quite a key uh, decision there. But, uh, yeah, nice feel-good story there for Ishmael Diawara. Good luck to him. All right, well, stay tuned. Uh, join us after the break. We're going to talk about the Norwegian Elite Serien and a final transfer window roundup from, from Norway. So stay tuned. Catch you after the break. Welcome to part two of this episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. And we are over to Norway now. And, well, sadly for you, Steve, there's no uh, no representative in this season's UEFA Champions League. You know, uh, I'm just, I'm just uh, you know, I'm just uh, chuckling away while I say that, uh, rubbing it in a little bit in your face. But, uh, you know, for, Swe- for Swedish team, for Sweden, it's a, it's a nice sort of a few weeks coming up. But don't get me wrong, there's still a few teams, the Conference League we've got to look forward to, isn't there? And, and also Europa League as well. And that kind of thing. So we will touch on that um, shortly. But before we do that, I mean, it is a uh, it's an interesting title race at this moment in time, isn't it? So the, the plan for this section, we're going to sort of just briefly look at the title race and see where we are. With twelve games left, everyone's played eighteen now, so everyone's caught up on the on the calendar. And then we will sort of talk about the transfer window because we didn't uh, we weren't through the transfer window before the international break. So this is our first episode since it closed. So we're just going to touch on the main sort of uh, big signings players that you might need to look out for even if you play fantasy football for example and you're still doing the fantasy team there might be one or two you might want to put in your team so we're going to just touch on uh, the key key transfers as well but uh, the best place to start right now Steve, is, is, the, is the weekend just gone uh, and there's been some uh, interesting results hasn't there i mean yeah. i'm just going to read just going to read through the results in fact um because some games here that we didn't probably, i don't personally think 
expected to happen. Mainly Buda Glimp won odd one. Um, that was a quite a big result in the title race. But I'll read through them in order. Uh, got a, quite a shock result on the Saturday, 11th of September. Lillestrom 2, Brand 3. Uh, Starbeck 1, Viking 3. And we've got Buda Glimp 1, odd one on the Sunday. Then we've got Haugesund 2, Sarpsborg 1. Mulder battering Meondalen 4 0. Sandefjord beating Volarenga 3 0, which is a big result, isn't it? And uh, Stromsgård set 1, Christiansen 2. And then finally, Rosenborg 3, Tromso 2. Now, in terms of the title race, that means that with 12 games to go, we have uh, Christiansen still in third on 32 points. Uh, we've got Buda Glimpse in second, 35 points. And one point ahead of them on top of the table is Mulder with 36 points. And, and just down the bottom, uh, all on 13 points at this moment in time. 16th, bottom of the league, Starbeck, minus 18 goal difference. Bran, minus 16 goal difference, 15th on the table, second bottom, both in the relegation spots. And then in the relegation playoff spot, Mion Dallin, 13 points again, but minus seven goal difference, slightly more, uh, less, slightly fewer goals conceded, only 27. So uh, what's your analysis with 12 games to go, Steve, over the top and bottom of this league? Yeah, you know, it was around, there was quite a few shocks and... It doesn't surprise me. Historically, throughout the whole of Europe, throughout the whole world even, the first round back after the international breaks in September is notoriously one of the hardest rounds to predict. You can often get a lot of shocks, new signings settling in. You've had the international break, players missing and, and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, I think, I suppose, realistically, you've got to say there's, a, there's six teams still in this title race, if we're going to be fair. But in my opinion, there's only two teams that can win the league. And I've said that all year, Mulder and Buda Glimt. Um, and I, I've, Mulder, for me, will go on and, and get the gold medal. A nice 4-0 win against Mjern Dahlen, a comfortable win against a team that can be awkward opposition. Um, Mulder have got a lot of things in their favour towards the end of the season. No European matches. The team now, it's, it's going to be more settled. And I think they, they, they have had mid-season slumps before and they've come out of it. Buda Glimt just... That result just against odd just kind of sums their season up. That you feel they're motoring, and then something weird happens to let them down. They just haven't been as free flowing in terms of scoring this year. Thirty-seven goals in eighteen games, really low for them, considering the amount of goals they scored last season. And I think it's only going to get worse for them. Um, into well, worse. It's going to be a continuation of inconsistency throughout this autumn period because they're involved in in the Conference League, and I think for them it's a big thing. The Conference League, the guys, they're going to enjoy themselves, but them to juggle domestic European maps is going to be hard. So I think Buda Glimp will continue to drop points. Um, it's just a question of how many they drop and whether they're good enough to stay in second or could they drop potentially even out of the medals. Um, you know, it's, there's no doubt the teams below them. I mean, Christensen for me, that if they stay in the top three, uh, I would be stunned. Um, but I think the likes of certainly Rosenborglers from Viking might think, you know what, there's a chance here to, to, to catch... Um, second place or even first right now but yeah it's, it's, it's interesting stuff a bit like Sweden I don't think it's going to take a huge number of points to to win this league you know um, and then down the bottom obviously it's nip and tuck there's a lot of teams that um, are still not safe yeah and you know <clears throat> if we look at the, the results like you just said there uh, in terms of Glimp you know you, you did mention they're in Europe and, and they do have a really exciting conference league group actually uh, first time they've ever been in Europe, I believe, in their history. Um, you'll confirm that for me. But just looking at their group stage, I mean, they got a meeting with none other than Jose Mourinho to look forward to 
Um, I don't know if anyone saw him sprinting down the touchline last night as Roma got a late uh, late winner. Uh, classic Jose style running off down the touch down the touchline. You can't knock Jose, can you? But they um, <clears throat> they're in that group with Roma, uh, Buda Glimt, CSKA Sofia, and Zoria, who's their first opponent uh, this, this this Thursday. Um, how do you think that will affect them in in the title race? Because you know how will the squad cope with it, especially with the transfers they've made? It's going to be a negative for me. Their squad doesn't have the depth, the, certainly the quality depth that a likes of Molder have had when they've been in Europe before, or even you know when Rosenborg were in Europe before. So this is going to be a real challenge for Budiglim, especially the style they play. It's very high tempo. It's very high press. Um, you know, it was it was it was great last season. Their their fitness levels were so good last season that it didn't matter. You know, they, they went midweek um, and then you know we weekend in the league domestically but this is kind of the end of like a two-year cycle where they've really put a lot into the football and um you know i think it is gonna it will they will drop some random points it's been away from home has generally been their problem jonathan uh this year home they've been pretty damn reliable that was a um i mean they still drop points they've only lost one match at home all year that was to molder but you know what else has happened this year i'm not saying teams have found them out but there's certain sides that have found a way to deal with them. Odd, for example, they got battered twice last year. I think it was six nil and four nil. They beat them one nil at home, and they've just got to draw one all. So teams have found a way, a better way of dealing with Buda Glimp this year. They've finally woken up and, and realised there is potential things you can do to nullify this team. And, and, and it's almost like a sort of a second season syndrome. Um, you know, it was always always going to be a come down from from last year. Um, more than I expected, actually. But um, yeah, it's been a combo of factors. I still think they're probably good enough to finish second. If I'm being honest, because they do have a lot of quality in their ranks. They've signed, uh, you know, reasonably well in the summer as well as I'll go on to soon. Um, but yeah, they, going midweek, traveling, something they've never done before. It has for me. You're going to drop some points somewhere. You, you, it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the flip side of it is they've got a really exciting group stage, as I said, to look forward to in Europe. That, that'll be a real adventure for them, something they haven't experienced too many times. I mean, no one's experienced the Conference League because it didn't even exist until this season. So, uh, yeah, new new th- new times for everyone. Um, their goal they conceded against Odd was a hell of a strike from Sanders Svensson. Um, set piece. So you mentioned that their teams are finding them out. Maybe maybe set piece is, a, is an area. Uh, second phase from a set piece, Sanders Svensson absolutely powered in a uh, shot from outside the box. Beautiful uh, effort. Uh, former Hammerby, he was. Uh, I remember him, but uh, yeah, he's, he looks like he's, you know, banging in a few goals there for Odd. <clears throat> but let's look at their. Let's look at. Let's start with Budigan's transfers because uh, they're the players they brought in: Armel Prendergrino, Joel Magisha, and Gilbert Coombson. We did actually speak about um, these players, didn't we? I think we we touched on Armel. Uh, that transfer had already been done, uh, and players they've so, uh, got rid of: um, Tunecti, uh, Lindau and Rattach, a couple of others. I think I've got that right. Um, but yeah, what you know, I think Pellegrino is the key there, isn't it? He's, he's the one who's going to have a real impact as only a 31-year-old. I think the thing with Pellegrino is they've got, a, they've got to think of him as a racehorse and they've got to know when to run him, you know, when to lightly run him and when to really push him hard and whip him hard because he's not the sort of bloke who's going to be able to do for me, you know, European matches and then a, a league match. At the same, they're going to have to probably bench him perhaps in some league games. He's, he's, you know, he's no spring chicken, um, and uh, they've got a game manager. He does have a bit of a history of injuries sometimes. Gilbert Coombson, the signing of Coombson from uh, Turkish side, 
Cassim uh, Passa. I think that's a good addition. He has a, a good history in the um, in the elite Australian for Bran and Sondal. He has a he has a knack of getting a lot of assists. You know, does uh, Coombson, and he puts a lot of crosses into the box. And it is the one area they did need a bit more depth with Sondre Surly getting injured. So yeah, they, they reinforcing the area. That, that, those two signings could just be the difference between them, you know, being both competitive in the um, Europe and also sort of maintaining this title charge and, you know, at worst sort of finishing second. So I, I like what they've done and they've not lost anyone of significance. Yeah, looking at, um, you know, moving on to, to, you know, the title toppers in the moment, table toppers in the moment, Mulder. Uh, I mean, that was a pretty comfortable dispatching of their rival this season, Mion Dallin, wasn't it? Uh, they had lost two games, though, before that in a row at Viking and away to Christiansen. Uh, the next two games are Wallerenga away and Viking at home. I don't know if they have European competition to contend with, but uh, what's your assessment of them so far before we look at their their um, before we look at their transfers? Because Oe was on the score sheet with two, uh, Erling Knudsen as well and uh, Ellingson as well, penalty. What's your assessment of uh, Mulder at this moment in time? Yeah, I think we look at the games that drop points and I don't think any of the drop points are a disgrace, really. V Vikings are a tough place to go. They were 2-0 up in that and they somehow blew it. Christiansen, it's a local derby and Christiansen were just up for it more that day. You know, they are third in the league, so it's not like... If they're dropping points to poor sides, then, then you get worried for them, don't you? But um, I think they, they can pick themselves back up again. They, they do need to start winning some more of these big fixtures again. You know, they beat Buda Glimt earlier in the season, but um, you know, they need to start, you know, beating the likes of Lillestrom, Viking, teams around them. It's not just about trashing the, the poor sides, is it, um, sometimes? So I think they need a couple of big performances soon again, but um, they're going to be pretty happy that they're back on top of the table. They've got no Europe to contend with. The In terms of the, the transfer window, they've lost some players, but they've gained some as well. Um, and I think they'll be... They're definitely the favourites to me to to win the gold medal. Yeah, you you have said that a few times. To be fair, <clears throat> you are quite confident on on Mulder, and uh, you know, looks like with the results this weekend, you, you know, you might be onto something there. Uh, let's look at their transfers because they've had uh, Linus has come in from Galatasaray, Martin Linus right back, uh, Rafik Zeknini, left winger from Fiorentina, so they're playing from big clubs, twenty three year old left winger. Sivak Manswerk from Sondal. I think we touched on him briefly. Uh, a young player called Nicholas Haugland and then uh, a couple of others who they've brought in, I think, from loans and that kind of thing. Uh, the key, though, really was the, the players they've lost. Um, Stian Gregerson gone to Bordeaux for 1.8 million, a 26-year-old centre-back. Marcus Holmgren-Pedersen gone to Feyenoord. Frederick Olsner to Feyenoord. They've loaned out Matisse Bolly to Starbeck as well and a couple of other loans uh, of goalkeepers. You know, they brought in a good three three million pounds, roughly there, in terms of uh, tr transfer profits. Which Mulder are quite good, aren't they, at uh, bringing in some cash? Very good club for that. And um, you know, Martin Linez uh, is an ex-player of theirs, uh, proven at this level. He, you know, he will do a good job for them. Uh, Zetnini was, uh, you know, for, for elite Serian level. I mean, he was at Rosenborg with odd. You know, this this player can play on the wings. He's a, he's a nice addition. I am worried about the loss. I mean, Orson, as we've said before, that was a big, big loss for them. But Mansvert came in and he he can be an able replacement. I do worry how you replace Stian Gregerson. Uh, gone to Bordeaux there for 1.8 million. Um, I mean, that's a very good... I mean, you'll be delighted with that signing as a, as a Bordeaux fan, Jonathan. Um, 
Uh, fantastic bit of business for Bordeaux. Then I think he's going to go really well there. Actually, uh, great player. Um, but I think I suppose that they will know behind the scenes they were going to lose Gregerson at some point. Probably were hoping at the end of the season. It's about now who steps up in that centre back role. That's probably the area where I'm thinking, you know, you can probably get at Molder, Martin Bjornback, and Sheriff Sinian. If anyone else goes down, they're looking at the likes of Burke Reese at centre back or Martin Ellingson. So I think centre back is the area where they they lack the depth. If injuries kick in there, they're in trouble. Uh, but they're well covered in on all the other parts of the of the field. They've done the best to replace players. And, um, you know, I'm excited, certainly, by, you know, Mansvert especially. I think it's going to be very good. Yeah, well, uh, good luck to all of them um, in, their, in their new roles. And, yeah, good good luck to Mob. Let's see how they get on. They're not in the Europa League. So, uh, you know, let, let's, let's see how they, they focus. Now I'm going to move on to my personal favourites, Christensen. You know, above Rosenborg, above Lillestrom, who you've written a Wisecat blog about. Uh, above Wallerenga, what is going on there, uh, Steve? Uh, I just every year they defy me, don't they? And they were they fluke to win. I do love it. They they you always predict them down the bottom, and this season they're doing it better than ever. They fluked it at the weekend against Godset, a last minute goal. Well, for once, I wasn't going to moan because I was on over three goals, so it got me a push. But um, you know they didn't deserve the win. Strom's Godset deserved the win. Um, Look, they've got a great home record this year. They've always been strong at home with the fans. Seven out of nine home wins. That's pretty damn good, right? Um, I actually like one of their signings. Moses Moore from Godset. Now, the last time they bought a player from Godset, it was Pellegrino. And look what they turned him into, an absolute monster. I think the same could happen with Moses Moore. I don't think he's been... Moore has had, has, has more of an effect at Godset than Pellegrino did. But he's exactly the same type of player, just younger. He'll play that inside forward role on the left-hand side. And I I just know that the Christensen system and coaching will probably get more out of this player. So, um, you know, it's early days so far. He's, 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 he's played three games, but they wouldn't two out of the three he's been in. And um, I think give him a bit of time and he can make a really big impact for Christensen. They have lacked goals this year in certain situations. 24 goals in 18 is not a lot, is it? They're the lowest scoring team in the top half, I do believe. Uh, but Moore might just be the man. He's got that potential, maybe that they can. They have a knack of improving players to Christensen. They just do. Um, I mean, I just can't, I can't see them staying in third. But this side just well, they defy me. Mate, they just keep achieving stuff that I don't see think is possible. Yeah, and another winner that came from a set piece. Uh, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to do some digging on this Christensen team. team. Uh, Steve, because, uh, you know, not letting you get away with this constant talking down of them. You know, every week they don't deserve it. They're th- third on the table. So we, we may have to get someone on to talk about Christensen to give a maybe slightly more impartial point of view because I've got to say, you, you know, you they are defying you quite regularly. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know who, I mean, who's their manager? Is he? Christian Mickelson. Christian Mickelson, um, you know, great manager for them. Great fit for them. Low possession. Probably wouldn't suit going to a bigger club because he's counter-attacking orientated. But I suppose he deserves maybe a chance. Yeah, I think uh, we may have to. You know, if you're listening, come on the show. Uh, I would certainly love to hear from Christensen what they're doing because there's marginal gains. You know, for one season, fine. But this is two, three seasons now. They've been regularly sort of punching above their weight. I, I'd be very interested to know the methods behind Christensen. So if there's any, 
you know, any of their fans listening or any of their coaches or, or the manager, I'd love to, I'd love to maybe get them on the show. I'll do the interview, Steve. Don't you worry about that. Uh, I've got a nice, nice soft spot for Christensen. Um, let's move on. I mean, yeah, if you look at their transfers, they haven't been hugely active. Uh, you mentioned the, you know, the lad from Strums Godset, is it? Moses Mawa. Yeah. Jesper Isaacson as well. They've bought from Starbeck, 21-year-old. Uh, and then Lagos Kunga, who is Angolan and American origin, right winger, 22, I wonder. Now, that was scouted. That's an interesting one. I don't know much about him. Um, but, yeah, they lost a couple as well, Flemeth Castrati, and they sold a few, brought in a little bit of cash, I think, uh, sold Bent Sormo to Zoltovaregem in Belgium. Olas skarsum has gone to Rosenborg, and Horennus Tadis has gone to Sandes Ulf, uh, and then they've loaned out Cameroonian forward Mumbanga. So, I mean, what does that affect? Is that going to affect them, the ins and outs? Uh, Scarson was an underrated player for them. Uh, I quite like him. I think Ben Somo, I think that was possibly end of contract. Um, not entirely sure. But yeah, Scarson's a bit of a loss. But, you know, this Kunga, I looked at his, his profile photo. And he's got this like, orange hair. He looks a bit of a lad. But uh, I don't know he's much like about him. He's like a Taribo West sort of a style, <laughs> isn't he? I, love I it. think he, he looks like he's been in America, Atlanta United. Uh, not playing for the uh, first team much there but uh who know who knows a lot of these sometimes these signings you genuinely just don't know how they're going to do they could be brilliant or they could be terrible so but um look I, I think they'll they'll finish strongly still i mean probably top six from here it's um it's a remarkable run for christianson though they, they just they, they always the manager gets the absolute maximum out of his squad year after year without fail yeah, and you know, uh, Tariba West by by uh, by by look by looks, Lagos by name. I've got to say, I've got a soft spot for this guy already. So keep an eye on Le- Lagos Kunga. Let's see how he gets on. We're, we are a bit short of time. We don't have a huge amount of time to go through every single transfer. Mm-hmm. But is there any any clubs that you you wanted to talk about that have? Yeah. You know, if you were to pick three clubs whose transfers could turn their season around, or two or three clubs, who would you, you know, who's coming out of this transfer window looking, uh, you know new and who's coming out of it looking looking down i think one transfer i've got to have to mention is henrik hegheim who's moved to Burundi from viking for 1.33 million pretty sure i've profiled him at least once on one of the white scout blogs uh a very uh good young center back and he's pro- i think he's moving at the right time to the right club um it's a nice little step up to Burundi. he can dip, continue his development in a better league and you know i could honestly see hegheim moving uh, to, to better pastures beyond that. I mean, what the f- there's some great value to be had in Scandinavia, really. You can see why it gets constantly raided. You know, in terms of the most active clubs, um, Starbeck have been very active. They've actually picked up a decent fee for Antonio Nusi, the 16-year-old wonder kid. Um, to, well, surprise, surprise, he's gone to Belgium, Club Bruges. But that's a decent fee for Starbeck. Um, they have put a, they've signed a lot in. And uh, they've got rid of a few as well. So very active transfer window for them. A very active transfer window for uh, Bran as well. Um, you know, whether it's enough to keep them up, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, certainly the Hegheim transfer really stood out. One a window that did stand out to me uh, was actually Sanderfield because they didn't do hardly any business at all, which is unusual. Um, I think they literally only brought one or two players in. Uh, Ian Smule as a left back from Feyenoord. And uh, Chuma and Nene, a uh, 
Norwegian slash Nigerian centre forward from Michelin and Musa G joined, but not much business there. Most of the clubs did a bit here and there, but um, yeah, interesting sort of window. Some 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 players have, have, have lost players, but uh, some clubs have lost players. Sorry, but uh, yeah, ups and downs, isn't it? Yeah, we'll wrap up. I mean, there's been a lot of transfers to be fair. Uh, quite a few. I mean, Dowda Bamba's left the league. Uh, he's gone to Turkey, left Brand. Was, you know, I think that's caught my eye. Um, <clears throat> but there, you know, there's a few others of you, as you've just mentioned there. I mean, it seems like this seat, this this window, it seems like Norway's been raided. To be honest, I mean, I said the same thing about Sweden. Uh, he's at Bergman. Hannesson's gone from North Shopping. Um, but you know, off of the of the published transfers out, there's already 12 million, 12 million euros gone out of the league and that's only the team the, the the transfers that have been disclosed so there's obviously undisclosed fees and i'd say about 50 percent of them are undisclosed yeah so to be honest you could double that to sort of maybe 25 million ish minimum yeah um, it's gone out of elite Syrian, which is huge really um and just shows you the, the you know the, the status of the of the leagues really in terms of how much they attract foreign foreign uh clubs but um yeah i mean we've got one listener question which we'll probably wrap it up with uh, thank you so much for you, your questions. You can follow us on Twitter at Nordic Footpod. Um, we were not going to we're not going to get through more tonight because we've had a, quite a big episode here. But we have got one from Footy Analicris, Chris Hilliam. Uh, he said thoughts on August Mickelson. How high is his ceiling and his likely best long term position? I think that's an interesting one because obviously we are talking about transfers on this show in Norway. Uh, Steve, could you just tell us who he is? I don't, you know what. Chris has asked him asked about him. Obviously, must be a player of note. Let us know the player. You know what's his position, that kind of thing, and, uh, and then answer Chris's question. Yeah, um, thanks for the question, Chris. Also, thanks to anyone who did a tweet in a question. Um, we are certainly not ignoring them. Um, we will be storing up for for some more future episodes. But um, yeah, August Mickelson is a attacker at uh, Tromso. And this is someone who I think going into the season, you would have had him down in the depth charts as sort of backup, as a sort of a, a substitute, really, a bench player would make an impact. I mean, I had him down on my own personal spreadsheets as a primary winger, left and right winger. Uh, can also play in the Tromso. Tromso play three five two, so he can sort of play, um, you know, left mid, right mid, winger, whatever you want to call it. But... He started the season off as uh, playing up front as a striker alongside uh, um, Moses Ebi. Uh, that this was due to es Bruno Espio's injury, um, which kept him out of action for a long time. So Mickelson sort of basically become this pacey advanced forward. I would say um, it's probably the best role you can use him as. Um, he's got he's, he's a small lad, uh, but he's pacey. He's, he's skillful. Obviously, with the sort of history of playing out wide, he can sometimes drift a little bit. But I've been quite impressed how he's adapted to the striker role. And I probably that's I think he would work really well with like a target man in say a four four two. I don't know whether he'd be as effective if he was just sort of a lone striker. And of course, it'd be interesting if he was to move somewhere that had like a four three three system. Could he go back on the wing? And be as effective there but certainly in the 352 he is he's certainly i mean if you think about sort of moses a b a b is quite a quick lad as well but he's more physical so i think that's a good combination for him it's just sort of just all you know fast striker and getting behind tries to beat the offside trap a bit half poacher as well at times and it's um he's a player that's impressed me 
this season, to be honest, Mickles. I don't know what his exact stats are in terms of goal scoring, but he has been on the score sheet a bit this year and um, yeah, decent player, job. I like him. Thank you so much for your question. Uh, I hope that's answered your question there. We did have two questions, which I will not answer, basically. But I will touch on them and give a shout-out to at Norgefoot. Uh, Norgefoot on Twitter, who said, who do you think are the five biggest under-21 talents in the Nordic region? And also a shout-out to uh, Harry HT199621. He's also said the five brightest prospects under-21 in both leagues. Uh, I think we're going to have to... Um, we're not going to answer those because we're going to have to go back to uh, dust ourselves down after this transfer window, aren't we, Stephen? Reassess who actually under, in the league is under twenty-one because we've, we've taken a huge beating this this this, week, this window. Uh, so many players left the leagues. You know, Bergwijn Johansson would have been a contender, but he's gone to Denmark, for example. Uh, there's so many players, and we're going to have to sort of dust ourselves down and just reassess it probably because we 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 bled players this, this this window. Really, have been a huge amount of transfers out in both leagues. Um, but thanks for your question. We will probably touch on that in a future episode. So do tweet us again in weeks to come. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to at Ben Ben at Yo Ben Ben uh, Ben Ben Yo. He said he's asked us before, but you guys didn't answer it. How important will the return of Neiman be to North Shopping, given they should really be aiming for a top three, four spot? Uh, we are going to touch on North Shopping in a future episode, uh, uh, Ben. So tune in, uh, do subscribe, and we will answer that in the weeks to come because North Shopping are a team that I do want to focus on. Actually, they've been quite an interesting side this season uh, and they have lost a few players in in, uh, in the last window as I said Bergman Johansson's gone uh, and so you know we will want to want to look at them uh, in terms of the two players uh, two questions from Norgefoot and uh, and Harry I mean uh, certainly uh, we haven't touched them this evening but Rosenborg with uh, the the lad up front Holm and also Conrad's insider your your man Conrad's insider Steve I think you you know they may be two players who might make the list um picked up some nice goals against Tromso this weekend in, in that in that three two win. Uh and Vecchia as well got the got the winner, didn't he? So that's interesting. But yeah, but we won't answer that in detail tonight because it's all about Malmo, it's all about the Champions League. And uh, we've covered the conference league as well in terms of uh, Rosenborg, uh, sorry, in terms of Glimp. Uh so hopefully that keeps you going for for another week. Uh but we will be back. So keep your questions in if you've got any others you want to ask and, and don't forget to drop us a uh, a like or subscribe and also a review, you know, leave a rating, that kind of thing. It all helps us, um, you know, improve the podcast. Uh, but I think we're going to leave it there now. So, uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening. Uh, and thank you, Steve, for joining me as always. And, and to Rafa as well. Really interesting insight from someone who's actually worked in Osvenskan, um for a club and has given some valuable insight on the Champions League game. Yes, thanks very much, everyone. Uh, take care, stay safe. I will see you around next time. Goodbye. Bye, everyone.